Morning Shades Mountain. How's everybody this morning? It is an exciting day in the life of our church. I gotta just tell you, just real quick, we just had an incredible high school camp. A couple hundred of us went down to Daytona Beach and we experienced God and more than 30 students made decisions of various kinds, some renewing their faith, some being called to ministry, some deciding I need to be baptized. My personal favorite, some deciding I don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but I want to. I want to begin a relationship with him. And it was awesome. Wasn't that awesome, y'all? Wasn't that great? It was awesome. Really great high school camp experience. And then we're turning around and we're about to get right into Vacation Bible School. Hundreds of children from all across our community will be filling this sanctuary. It's going to be absolutely incredible hearing the stories of Jesus Christ and having the opportunity to place their faith in Him. And I'm just so blessed to be a part of a church that believes in investing in the next generation. Because as this church is investing in the next generation, it's making a difference and lives are being changed. And if you're excited about that, I think you should clap right there because that's incredible that we're seeing God move. Well, we talk about kids and we talk about uh, students and, and young children. I have two young kids. I'm a big supporter and believer in our preschool ministry here because I've got two kids that are in it. I've got a four-year-old, Caleb, and I've got a two-year-old, Krista. And Krista turned two back on September 3rd. She's fixing to be three. And when she turned two, she got a package from her grandparents. And this package contained her birthday present inside, or inside of it. And there's a few different little trinkets in there. But there was one thing that stood above the rest. And is this right here. This is a frozen snow globe wand thing. I'm not really sure what it is. Um, looks like a weapon of some sort to her little brother. But this is her frozen wand right here. And she loves this thing. And she pulled it out of there and her eyes lit up. And she's kind of like already a little bit of a free spirit. And so she, for about two hours, just twirled and twirled and twirled and twirled this thing. As it plays, Let It Go, the hit song. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard this song, Let It Go, from that great Disney movie, Frozen. So she's swinging it, she's playing it, she's having a good time. And about an hour into it, she takes a spin and the song doesn't play. And then she takes a spin, and the song doesn't play again. Well, this moment, tragedy strikes, okay? I mean, she starts getting flush. Here come the waterworks. It's devastation. And she just keeps on saying over and over again, it not working, it not working, it not working. And she just gets more and more intense on this. And she, she runs it over to her mother, and her mother, bless her, cannot figure out how to make it work. And then she brings it to daddy, and daddy can't figure out how to make it work. And so I do what only any dad would do. I go over to the garage to get away from the emotion of the situation, and I decide that and I'm going to try and fix this thing. And so I get it out there and I pull out. I've got like a screwdriver. I'm looking for an owner's manual. These don't come with owner's manuals, by the way. And, and, and I get there and I've got a hammer out like just in case, right? Like I'm, I'm ready to put this thing to bed. And then as I'm about to take it apart, I notice on the side here, there's a switch. <laughs> and I turn it on and sure enough, I'm one with the wind and sky. I mean, right? And I come in there and I bring it to my daughter and she's like, dad is a hero. And there's triumphant and there is just joy and elation and it's all so great. <laughs> and if you're a dad in here, you know that feeling, right? And everything gets broken and it's your job to go and fix it. And we fix rocket launchers and a little like a toy ant. I'm not really sure why we have a toy ant. We got a toy ant and fix that. And 
And now, though, I've got my four-year-old, and my four-year-old's starting to get a little wise, though, that dad is not all he's cracked up to be, right? He brings me his transformer. He says, Dad, I need you to fix this. Okay, buddy, it's, uh, it's missing an arm. Can you, uh, can you give me the arm? Do you know where the arm is? Nah, but I need you to fix it. And I, I'm really, I'm sorry, man. I, I can't do anything about it. Or he has this, uh, he loves the book, Very Hungry Caterpillar. Any Very Hungry Caterpillar fans out there? It's great, classic children's book. Had a stuffed Very Hungry Caterpillar uh, that the dog got a hold of. And he was no longer a Very Hungry Caterpillar. He was a very dead caterpillar. Um, just absolutely decimated there. And I, I mean, I can't, I don't know, so I can't put it back together. Half of it's digested. You know, I mean, it's, it's not going to work anymore. And I can't fix certain things. He's starting to realize that dad can't fix everything. And you know, life is a lot like that. You know, when we were younger, we had this like childlike faith. And we had this belief that our God can do anything, right? Like he is able to do anything. And kind of as we get a little bit older, sometimes we look at the mirror and we think, I don't know. I don't know that God can heal this hurt in my heart. I don't know that God can fix this broken part of me. I don't know that my God is able to do that. As we look at our culture and certain elements of our community, as we look around at the world and our nation, and we say, I just don't know. I just don't know if God's really able or if he even wants to fix this or do anything about it. And we start believing that there can be lost causes. There could be the parts of which God just can't heal anymore. Maybe our Heavenly Father can't fix things like we thought he could think, fix things, maybe when we had a young faith. But I'm here to tell you something this morning. I'm here to tell you something that I believe based upon God's word and where we're going in scripture today, that I believe with all of my heart that no one is a lost cause in Jesus Christ. No one is a lost cause in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Ezekiel 37 is where we're going to be at today. Ezekiel 37, we're starting verse 1. And Ezekiel is a great book of the Bible. It's written by Ezekiel very original name there. Ezekiel is a priest, and he is a guy who's supposed to speak for God. And as he is a priest there in the nation of Judah, and he's speaking to the people of God, something tragic happens. The, the people have turned their back on God, and really all of Israel has just turned their back on God. And because of that, they experience just an incredible amount of hardship and eventually get to the place where they're taken into captivity. They lose their homeland. Just imagine this. They're taking away. So it's just like, think about if America was taken over by a hostile nation, let's say like Canada, and they took us back to live in the cold tundra, right? Like that, that's what's going on in the situation right here. They've been taken away to another nation. They've lost their homeland. They've lost their dignity. They've lost their identity. They are a lost cause. And Ezekiel is there with them in captivity. And he's kind of a priest turned street preacher and God's using him as a mouthpiece to the people and after this devastating loss he and his people and his nation have experienced God's about to tell Ezekiel something that's utterly unthinkable to him or anybody that's with him and there's still hope that God still has a plan and so we start off here verse 1 if you're there Ezekiel 37 and the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of dry bones. Now, I want you to notice there's a double emphasis in this verse here. I want you to notice that it says the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out. And then he repeats himself, just in case you missed it the first time. He says, and the spirit of the Lord set me down in the middle of the valley. Ezekiel has been led to this place by the spirit of God. 
that God has a particular place that he wants to be. I love what Michael said earlier right here. He said, you're not here by mistake. You're not in this room today by mistake. That God puts us in places for his purposes. It's a principle from his word. God puts us in places for his purposes. And sometimes that's hard for us to accept. Back in February of this year, we do an event called Crave Weekend for our students. If you've ever been a part of a Disciple Now, that's, that's what it is, basically. We do it called Crave Weekend, and it's probably the largest student event that we do on campus here at, uh, at Shades Mountain. And my grandmother had been in poor health for quite some time, 95 years old, outside of my wife, the most godly woman that I've ever met, right? But she'd been in poor health, and she passed away some days before Crave Weekend. And it just so happened, the family got together, and they scheduled the funeral for the Friday of Crave Weekend, the night that we're supposed to get things started. Well, there's so much tension there, and I just didn't know. I mean, this is a huge event. I'm supposed to be here and leading out. This is kind of what I feel like I need to be. But after talking with the staff here, it was just so great and talking with the team and, and others. I mean, it was just very encouraged. And they said, you need to go. We can take care of things here. And so I get on the plane Friday morning as others are making their way to the church here to get things ready for Friday night. And I'm on the plane. I'm flying to Orlando. And I'm thinking to myself, God, what am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be in Birmingham at Shades Mountain getting ready for this Crave Weekend experience. That's where I'm supposed to be. And so, God, I just need you to help me understand or see the purpose in this. It didn't take long. Got to the funeral. I had, I don't even remember how many conversations with unbelieving family members, talking about Jesus, about his love, and the, the faith of our grandmother. Got a chance to share her story of how she came to know Christ there to those in, involved. Even on every connection, every part of the journey, I'm meeting people. And it was just crazy how open they were to the gospel. I actually sat next to one lady on my last connection from Charlotte coming back here into Birmingham. And we're having a conversation. Mid-conversation, she stops me. She says, do you believe in reincarnation? I said, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, What? And she said, you know, do you believe in reincarnation? You know, like, where you die and you come back and you're like, you know, a llama or an, like, a, like an Asian man or something like that. This is what she says to me. I said, well, no, I, you know, I don't believe in reincarnation. I believe that there's an eternal destination for every human soul. And it either goes to heaven to be with Christ forever or hell to be separated from forever. And then that decision and how you get to one place or the other all is how you uh, deal with the whole issue of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. She's like, you know what? I never heard that before. And we walked through the gospel. And I met so many people on that trip, shared the gospel with them, people that would have never heard the gospel otherwise had it not been there. Now, I wanted to be here. And God did some great things that night. But God had purposes and placing me where he had me for that moment in time. And for each and every one of us in this room, if you're wondering why God has you where you're at, it's because he's got a purpose for you there, right where you're at. God had a purpose for Ezekiel to be in the middle of this valley full of dry bones. Look at there. It says at the end of verse 1, it was full of dry bones. And then it says in verse 2, And he led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. I want you to get the picture of what this very dry means. These are dry, brittle, sun-bleached bones. There's no life in them. 
It's like there's been a great battle, a great war that's happened. And the losing army, they didn't even bury the bodies. They just left them there in the valley. And it's probably been years since this battle is over because they're just there. There's no meat on them. It's just done. It's over. It's a valley full of dry, brittle bones. And it's in the midst of that situation that God prompts Ezekiel with this question. And he said to me, verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, that's an utterly ridiculous question because dry bones can't live. Nobody runs into an emergency room with a dry, dusty old skeleton and says, hey, you think that this thing can live? Can you help me out with this thing? In fact, I asked my brother-in-law, who's an ER doctor down in Jacksonville, Florida, the Baptist hospital there. I said, what would happen, just hypothetically, if somebody came into your ER with a, a, a skeleton and they said, can you do something for my buddy here? Please help me. Can you do something to revive my buddy here? He said to me, these are the exact words. He said, well, after I pick myself up off the floor from laughing at them, he doesn't have much of a bedside manner. He said, after I pick myself up at the floor from laughing, I'd call the psychiatrist. I'd have them admitted because they're a lunatic. And then I would call the police and I'd try to figure out if there are any unsolved murders because we got a dead body in here. He said, and then it would be the most epic story that I could tell people for years and years and years about this crazy person came into my hospital and brought a skeleton asking what I could do for them because life doesn't come to dry bones. It doesn't happen. That is an impossibility right here. And I want you to capture Ezekiel's response, though, in the face of that impossibility. The next phrase here in verse 3. And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel knows better than to tell God he can't do anything about it. Because Ezekiel knows that when God gets involved in the situation, things can happen. So his response is that of open-ended faith. And so this is when the story really starts to ramp up. Verse 4, it says this. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. I want you to hold that word breath in your mind from here forward in the rest of the message. We're going to come back to it a lot as we move forward here. I will cause my breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you up with skin and put my breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And God commands Ezekiel to do something that seems unthinkable. You just think about the awkwardness of this, the tension of this. I mean, Ezekiel is there in a valley of dry bones. I'm sure as he's about to do this, he thinks to himself, I hope that nobody is watching me right now in the middle of this thing. I hope nobody is filming me do this because this is so awkward. There's so much tension here. I mean, this is likened to like, imagine if you saw a guy walking through a graveyard saying, come back to life, right? Like that's how people get locked away. Like that's, that's crazy right there. But Ezekiel responds in this way in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. He obeyed. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. That word rattling right there, it could be likened to like an earthquake happening underneath his feet. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. So you get the picture. You get these bodies all over the ground. 
In verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood to their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is, an, this is a miracle beyond imagination. It would be like a room that's like attended like this, of dry bones coming back to life and breathing in life coursing through their veins. Incredible miracle of God. And it really displays God's power and his majesty and his ability to really do whatever he pleases to do. But there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. Something that I think is really applicable to each and every person in this room who calls himself a Christian. That God did the miracle, but he waited on Ezekiel's obedience to do it. You want to find interesting about this passage of scripture? He could have just called Ezekiel into the valley and said, hey, Ezekiel, watch this, and did it. But instead, he says, Ezekiel, I want you to have a hand in this. I want you to prophesy. I want you to speak truth. I want you to be a part of the work that I'm about to accomplish. And I'll do it once you prophesy. I love when it says there, Ezekiel prophesied. I prophesied as I was commanded. And when he was faithful to do that, God did the miracle. Our obedience leads to God's movement. It may not always look like the way that we envision to look like, but when we obey, God moves and does incredible things. Someone once said, the doors of opportunity swing on the smallest hinges of obedience in the kingdom of God. Just think about this. As we obey, we may be unlocking the power of God to do what he wants to do as we participate in him, with him, and what he wants to accomplish. When I think about this, I think about a young lady. Her name's Emily Cochran. Emily was a student in the student ministry that I led in Atlanta before I moved to Birmingham. And Emily was just brokenhearted for one particular girl in her school. We were talking about reaching the lost, reaching those that were far from God. And I said, and we were preaching about this, and as we were preaching, as I was preaching about this, I looked over here, and, and Emily was just weeping. And after the service was over, I and another staff member were talking with her, and she said, there's a girl I, want, I really feel like God's just put on my heart that I need to reach this girl for Jesus. And so we talked with her, we prayed with her, counseled her on how she could kind of go about doing that, and then we turned her loose. And she reached out to this girl. Now, I want to tell you about this girl for just a minute. This girl had that reputation. You remember when you were in high school and there was a girl that had that reputation, right? The one that people would talk about, you don't want to be like her. The, mo- the one that mothers would be afraid that their daughters would turn out to be like this girl, right? That was this girl. And Emily felt like she needed to reach her. Well, it wasn't long before she started befriending this girl and started really spending time with this girl that her friends came there and said, listen, I see you hanging out with this girl and you're going to have to make a decision whether or not you want to be her friend or our friend. And she said, okay, I'll be her friend because I believe God's called me to reach, reach her. And it wasn't long before I had some parents contact me and say, hey, listen, we need to be praying for Emily. She is going down the wrong path. She's hanging out with the wrong people. And I explained to him, well, you know, she really feels called to reach this girl for Jesus. And so she's paying a high price to reach out to this girl. 
Well, she finally gets to the point where they've built enough of a friendship, enough of a relationship, she feels comfortable finally sharing her faith, talking about what God's done in her life. And then she says, hey, I believe God wants to change your life too, says to this girl. And the girl looks back at her and says, hey, listen, I, I know you're all into Jesus and everything, but I'm not. I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, and I don't want you to talk to me about this again, like ever. Well, Emily kind of took a step back, gathered herself, came back to the church. We kind of counseled her and prayed for her, and she went right back in this relationship, this friendship, and she just kept on investing and kept on loving this girl and kept on pouring into her. This girl so hard to reach, so spiritually dead. And then finally kind of came to the point where she decided, I'm going to do this again. A few weeks later, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this again. And she shared Jesus with her once more. And the girl looked back at her and said, I told you I don't believe in Jesus and I can't believe that you would bring it in. Guess what? We're not friends, you and I. And I don't want you to be around me anymore. This girl just completely rejects her. Within a few days of that, she leaves and her parents just happen to be split up. She goes up to the East Coast and spends some time with her dad. And she makes a lot of poor decisions while she's up in this other part of the country. And as she's making these poor decisions, she would literally take pictures of herself doing things and send them back to Emily. And she would say, what does your God think about this? Send it to her. Just throwing it in her face. And I just felt so bad for Emily. She'd really taken a step out there, tried to obey God, tried to do what God had called her to do. And it just didn't seem like it panned out. Well, it was shortly after that that I moved away from Atlanta and moved here to the Birmingham area. And it was just kind of a sad situation. I never knew kind of what the end of the story was there. I just kind of figured this is one of those things in ministry. You just chalk up to, Lord, maybe you have purpose. I'm not really sure. I don't see it. And one Saturday night, I get a text. And I've got it saved here on my phone. It's just a great reminder of what God can do. Get this text. Hey, Steve, it's Emily Cochran from Hebron. I wanted to let you know that my friend was saved last Friday night. She truly gave her heart to Christ, and in just over a week, I've seen such a transformation in her. I wanted to thank you for all the times that we prayed and the advice that I was given over the summer. And I texted her back and said, hey, that is awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that with me. Way to hang in there and show her the love of Jesus. I'm proud of you. She said, you're welcome. Thanks again for the prayers. Now listen to this next part. It was 10 long months, but God finally answered my prayers. Ten long months of investing and praying and being on her face and crying out to God for this girl. And she came to know Jesus. Some of you in this room, you could say ten months. You could say ten years I've been trying to pray and reach somebody for Christ. But what's amazing is, is that when God looks at somebody who's spiritually dead, he always sees potential. When God sees dry bones, he still sees potential. And he knows that he can still save that person as evidenced by stories just like that one. No one is a lost cause in Jesus Christ. The passage continues on here in verse 11. And really, here's where God kind of leans back into Ezekiel and says, here's what I'm trying to show you about what I'm trying to do with the nation of Israel, with the culture of Israel. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off. This whole nation, they feel like it's gone, it's done, it's over. Our culture's already lost. The culture battle's already over. No one is going to turn to God now. 
But in verse 12, here's what God says. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open up your graves and I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And just in case you miss it, he repeats it again in verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God when I open up your graves and when I raise you from your graves, O my people. God's saying, I'm ready, I'm willing, I can raise the spiritually dead and I can bring them back to life. You know, God knows a thing or two about raising people from the dead because he has done it himself. And Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for our sins, was risen again, and now is alive. And he says, hey, I'd be willing to do that in each and every life that is spiritually dry, broken, and dead before me. I'm willing to do that work. Then look at what it says here in verse 14. And I'll put my spirit within you, and you shall live <coughs> And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. And I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now I want you to focus in on the first part of this verse 14. Look right here what it says. And I'll put my spirit within you. And you shall live. That word spirit right there is the Hebrew word ruach. Ruach. It can be translated spirit but can also and throughout this passage, it's translated differently. Breath. Every single time you read the word breath, it's that same word for spirit right here. And every single time, and in verse 5, 6, 9, 10, and 14, you see this word ruach, right afterwards it's followed by life, or come to life, or live, or become living. And what this teaches us is this, that whenever the spirit of God comes into a situation, life happens. Change happens. The dead come back to life. They are raised. Whenever the spirit of God comes, life comes. God can bring new life into any hopeless situation. So hear me when I say this. Any hopeless culture, any hopeless people, any hopeless person, God can breathe new life into them when his breath and when his spirit comes. God can do it. He can do the miracle just like he did in Ezekiel's day. He can do it. No one is too far, too dead, or too sinful for God to save. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Shays Mountain Baptist Church? A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a, a part of England called Tees Valley. It's a great, great mission trip. A good friend of mine, Mike Taylor, runs a, an amazing ministry there called UK USA Ministries. And their whole goal is to share gospel, hear the gospel there in England. And we went with a group of teenagers, and it was a long trip to get there. Some of you have been on mission trips with our church. You know about these long trips. We had to fly from Atlanta into Netherlands in mainland Europe and then come back over into Tees Valley. And we landed like in the middle of a cow pasture. I mean, it was a long, arduous journey. We finally got in there, and we were jet-lagged, and we were like falling asleep. And we show up, and we get there to the missionary's house, and he says, Hey, guys, we're going to climb a mountain. And we're like, is this a figurative mountain? I hope so. And he says, no, we're going to climb a mountain. It's called Roseberry Topping. Leave it to the Brits to name a mountain. Roseberry Topping. Sounds like something you put on top of a Sunday. You know what I mean? Roseberry Topping. We get in there, get there to the base of this mountain. We get in the cars and pile out. 
And the, the elevation of Roseberry Topping is roughly the same as Shades Mountain, the mountain that we're on right now. So imagine this. Imagine being dropped off at Highway 31 there at the base of Columbiana, jet-lagged, tired, with a group of teenagers behind you, and they say, we're going to walk to Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Anybody on board for that? I mean, that just sounds terrible. The only difference is, it wasn't like kind of a slow rise. In fact, we got a picture of it here. I want you to throw this up here on the screen. It was a sharp descent to the top. The thing about climbing this, there are no handrails. So I'm thinking, I'm going to lose my job. Some of you are going to die on the side of this mountain. And we climbed to the top of there, and we got to the top. The missionary beat us to the top because he's in much better shape than we were. And we got to the top there, and we were like, we're going to throw this boy over. Right? We were not ready to do anything. He got to the top and pulled out his Bible. And he flipped it open to Ezekiel 37. And he started reading it over the valley. And he read the whole passage of scripture that we just walked through. And then when he got to the end of it, he closed it up and he said, you know, over here, it's Middlesbrough. It's 200,000 people live over there. Over here, Stockton on the Tees, Gisborough, Fornaby. And he pointed all these little towns and cities all around. He said, you know, guys, They say that 5% or less believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in this valley. He said, I've been living here for a couple years. i got to be honest with you, I believe it's 3% or less. Nobody believes in Jesus in this valley around here. But you know what we're going to do this week on this mission trip? We're going to believe that God wants to raise the spiritually dead, dry bones in this valley. And we're going to go down to the valley and we're going to speak truth and speak the gospel and we're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And praise God, he's been there for a few years now and they're starting to see critical mass. He's part of the fastest growing church in that region. And they are seeing people come to know Christ and it is awesome. And you know what's wonderful about being a part of this church? This church does missions all around the world and we're part of works just like this one. Part of this, just like this one where we're seeing people come to know Christ as people are trusting that God wants to work upon the spiritually dead and the spiritually broken and the dry bones all around the world. But can I say something to us this morning, Shades Mountain? Can I say this to you today? Why not here? Why not now? Why not us? It was on this very platform. Ronnie Floyd, president of our Southern Baptist Convention, came and spoke at our GIC, and he closed it out with this statistic. According to 2013 statistics, there are over 1.1 million people living in the metro Birmingham, Hoover area, and approximately 45% are part of an evangelical church, but 55% are not. The majority of people don't have a church home in Birmingham, which is kind of shocking to believe because there's more churches per capita in Birmingham than any other city in the southeast. And yet, there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And as you walk around and kind of see things in the news, you know that's true too. I talk to our students about this all the time. Walking up down the hallways, Spain Park, Oak Mountain, Vestavia, Hoover, other places represented. And they can see the lostness right there in their face. People that don't know Jesus. And you know, here's the thing about that. The only way that changes, the only way that God's spirit moves and we see an absolutely amazing movement of God in our community is if we and me 
if we choose to go out and obey God and speak the truth in the gospel of what Jesus has done for every person. Because I guarantee you there are people, lots of people, that don't know it or have never seen somebody who has cared enough about them to tell them about it in a loving, Christ-like way. We have that opportunity to be a part of that. We have the opportunity to see God do that. Now, you may say, but Steve, there are other great churches in this community. There are other people in this church. Could somebody else do this? Couldn't God send someone else to do this? Well, I want to just remind you that earlier in this book of Scripture, Ezekiel, Ezekiel tells another story. He says in Ezekiel chapter 22 that God was seeking out someone to speak on behalf of the nation just before they brought it into exile, to see God move and do something different. And it says here in Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30, God says, and I sought a man from among them that I should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I would not destroy it. The last few words here are so crucial, but I found None, none willing, none willing to stand in the gap and speak the truth. And if we keep on thinking it's somebody else's responsibility, pretty soon there's no one else to pass it along to. We've got to be the ones. Because there's no city, no community, or no culture that is a lost cause in Jesus Christ. God's desire is to save this community, and he wants to use you and I to do it. And it won't happen until we obey like Ezekiel obeyed. Even if it seems crazy, we've got to obey God in this way. And so tell your story about how God changed your life. And share the gospel with those around you that you love or that you know. Or at very least, just invite them to church. It's a great week to do that with VBS coming. Got neighbors with kids. Hey, say, hey, listen. I want you to come to my church. I believe it would be good for you and your family. I just think your kids would have a great time. Who knows what could happen with that? Simple invitation. But do something. I've got to do something. We've got to do something to be a part of this. But there's another application in this text. Another something that I want somebody to hear. Because chances are there's maybe one, two, several people in this room that need to hear this next part. That as I've been sitting here and I've been talking about how there's hope for dry bones and how there's hope and there's no one that's too far from God, I guarantee you there's somebody in this room that says, you know what, you don't know me though. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. I am too far from God. Maybe there's somebody in this room who you even made a decision to follow Jesus long ago and yet now today you're so far from him and you're here today and you don't even know why you're here today, but you just showed up. Or maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't even know him. You never even met this God who says he can change your life. And you're just wondering, I don't know if God can change me. Can I say to you one more time? No person is a lost cause in Jesus Christ. No person is too far away from God. Listen to what the scripture says in Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. God brought to life dead bones, dry bones. He can certainly bring to life any person in this room who would choose to know him because God is a life giver. 
And I'll say this, if you're here in the room today and you want to experience new life in Jesus Christ, you can. See, here's the deal. Here's the reality for each and every person in this room, myself included. We are all dry bones. We're all spiritually dead. Each and every one of us has disobeyed God in some way. The Bible calls that sin. And what sin does, it separates us from God. And it comes with a penalty. Romans 6.23, the wages or penalty for sin is death. That means forever death, spiritual separation from God forever. That's what that means because of our disobedience to God. But here's the reality. Here's the good news. The second half of Romans 6.23 says this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, how does that work? How does God pay for me? Well, because God loved you so very much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, live a perfect, sinless life, and to die on the cross for your sin, my sin, every last person that sinned, the sins of the world over. And when he died on the cross, they put him in the grave, he rose three days later and is alive and now offers each and every person a relationship and forgiveness of their sins. He offers that free to each and every person. And so if you would come to him and say, you know what, God, I believe in what you've done for me on the cross. I believe that you're alive. And I want to ask you right now, forgive me of my sin. I want to ask you right now to just take my life. I surrender it to you. And I want to turn away from living life my way. And I want to turn to living life your way. If you would do that in this room today, then God would hear you and he would save you. So you say, how do I do it? How does that happen? Well, A relationship with God begins just like any other relationship. It begins with a conversation, a prayer with God. I'm going to ask every person in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here in this room and you're a Christian, I'm just going to ask you just for just a moment. Just pray for those around you. Pray for how God would have you be a part of his mission. But if you're here right now and you know that you don't know Jesus and you want to begin a relationship with him, then you can do that by having this conversation with him. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. You can use these words. But I want to tell you something. If you just repeat the words that I say from this platform today, it doesn't mean a whole lot of anything. It's about meaning it from the deepest part of your heart and having faith in Jesus to do these things. Asking God to forgive you. Asking God to take your life. Turning over control to him. You can do that right here, right now. So if you're ready, as I pray these words out loud, I ask that you just pray these words silently in your own heart. Pray this. God, I know that I disobeyed you and that I am a sinner. But I also know that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that you are alive. And so I'm coming to you right now And I'm asking you, forgive me of all my sin. I turn my life over to you. I surrender to you. I want to live life your way. Help me to know you and grow in a relationship with you. Help me to live my life for you. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer. And thank you so much for saving me. With heads bowed and eyes so closed all across this room, if you just prayed that prayer, No one's looking around, just me up here. If you just pray that prayer, would you just slip a hand up wherever you're at? No one's looking around. If you just pray that prayer, yeah. 
If you just prayed that prayer, yeah. If you just prayed that prayer, just put a hand up in the air. Yeah. Okay, you can put your hands down right now. Here's what I would just ask you to do. If you prayed that prayer earlier in the service, Pastor Danny talked about that tear-off. On the back side of that tear-off, it says, I committed my life to God today. If you'll just check that off, we just want to reach out to you and help you know how to get off on the right step with this new relationship with God. We won't bombard you. We won't embarrass you. We just want to encourage you in your new relationship with Jesus. Thanks so much for having boldness to know him today. Now, let me just say this with everyone else, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to hear my words. Listen to me now. More than 100 years ago, God put this church on the side of this mountain for a purpose. It overlooks the city of Birmingham where there are spiritually dead and dry people. And God wants to use you and me, all of us, this church, to make a massive difference. Would you consider how your life plays a part in that? Who you need to talk with? Because I want you to know Based upon God's word today, God is able, but he may just be waiting on us. Let me pray for us today. We love you, God. We give you praise. We thank you so much for all that you're accomplishing. We thank you so much that for so many of us in this room, your spirit has entered our lives. And now we live and we have new life in you. And God, we pray that you would help us to extend your word and your truth to the lives of those around us, that this whole community might be changed. We might see you do something amazing, greater than we could ever ask for or imagine. Thank you, God, for this time this morning. Encourage us and make us bold as we go. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.